Welcome everyone back to Kingdom 101 and we are going to continue with our series and our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. This evening, let's begin with a question. How is your heart doing? I think that's a very important question. As I look around, and I think you should be also asking yourself this very, very important thing. How's your physical heart doing? And often by the time we discover what is inside this heart, to know this condition of the hearts that we have, unfortunately for some, it may be a little bit too late. And that's why to monitor the heart is always very important. But how do we do that? Nowadays with technology, you have all kinds of apps. You have fitness apps, sleep pattern apps, monitoring how you sleep. Is it a light sleep, deep sleep? Um, you have heartbeat apps and so on. And so you get a sense of how your heart is beating and how it's doing. But at the same time, we should also learn how to be aware of some physical signs if you want to know how to monitor this heart of yours. And so I got this from a medical website. Let me just do a disclaimer. This is not a medical talk. I'm not a medical expert. So I just want to read off a medical website. The risk factors... Uh, for people who may develop heart disease. Uh, for example, age. Depending on how old you are, if you're a little bit older, you have a greater risk. Sex as in male or female, usually men generally at risk. But I'm told also that the women's risk increases after menopause. Family history. If you have a family history of heart disease, that increases your risk too. Of course, we say we reject that in Jesus' name. Again, poor diet. If you eat too much fat, salt, sugar, cholesterol, I'm not sure. There was a brother who said, it's okay, right, pastor? I already say grace. <laughs> Obesity, diabetes, uh, smoking. If you smoke, that increases the risk. Physical inactivity. And the problem with today is that we only sit in front of the computer. We don't exercise enough. Again, the risk goes up. Uh, stress, high stress. Pace is really, really fast these days. People who have gone through chemotherapy and the drugs or some radiation therapy, that also increases the risk. High blood pressure, if that's something that you have. Cholesterol levels, that's why the doctors will ask us, can we check all these things? So these are risk factors. But that only shows you that you might be at some form of a risk, but how about heart symptoms? If we notice some of these things uh, in our own conditions, then I think we've got to get ourselves checked. So uh, chest discomfort, uh, nausea, indigestion, heartburn, stomach pain. Sounds very common, right? A lot of these things. Pain that suddenly spreads to the arm. You know, you go, you, it goes numb. Uh, you feel dizzy, lightheaded. Throat pain, jaw pain also uh, could be uh, connected to some heart disease. You get exhausted easily. Snoring, if you snore, that's a symptom. Uh, sweating, you break out into cold sweat, that's a symptom also. A cough that just won't go away. Uh, your legs, feet, ankles are swollen, you notice irregular heartbeat. Once again, I'm not a medical practitioner, this is not a medical talk. All this you can Google, you can find out, you can read all these things from the web. Why everyone looking so worried suddenly? <laughs> so here we know how to check the condition of our physical heart. And you know where I'm going with this, right? I'm asking where is your heart, how is your heart? 
we're not really looking at the physical heart. We're really looking at the real heart that is within us, that spiritual heart, the one that represents the real you. See, when the Bible talks about heart, every time it mentions heart, it's not just that emotion, lovey-dovey, Valentine's Day type heart. Uh, it represents every part of you, your thoughts, your intentions, your inclinations, you know, your, even your patterns of the way you behave. Everything comes from the heart. The question is, how do we monitor what's inside? What are the symptoms that we can look out for? How would we know what the condition of the heart is? Let me ask you another question. Think about this. If your talk and your thoughts were recorded, and if it can be done 24-7, what would it sound like? If I could listen to your heart, what would I hear it really saying? I think that's what we want to consider this evening. Now everyone is looking even more worried. And so I think this is a good place. Let's pray as we get into this evening's teaching. Father, I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you that you will teach us what is really correct and what is true for us to monitor this condition of our hearts, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit, not just some nice teaching that we hear and then say, oh, okay, it's fine, it's nice, and go away. But Father, I pray this evening, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, reveal the heart, Lord, so that we can learn and we can take steps to walk in the ways that will bring you pleasure and to honor you. And we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 12, as you know. And this evening, tonight's teaching is taken from verses 33 to 37. Let me read this for you. Matthew chapter 12, 33 to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. If we look at the context, we know that this passage follows on from two verses which we have already explored. And that would be Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. It talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And it was about Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, giving them a very, very stern warning. Look at the broader context. Matthew chapter 12 records an increasing opposition against Jesus. The more Jesus taught, the more popularity he received from the people, the more the Pharisees were threatened and they started to challenge him. And words were spoken against Jesus. And those were really, really harsh words, strong words. And that is why Jesus then issues a warning, the point of no return. Telling the Pharisees, you be careful, if you go this way, you keep talking like that, you're going to reach a point where you cannot turn back. And then we have that learning and the teaching about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so if you look at this passage, and if you just note, look at the words like blasphemy, 
blasphemy against the Spirit. Anyone who speaks a word, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, how can you being evil speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every idle word man may speak, for by your words, and by your words you will be justified or condemned. You notice a little pattern down here? Do you realize that it's all about words? It's all about speech, about talk. I think there's something important down here we've got to take notice. You've got to watch your words. There's a very, very important warning down here. And some of us might still be thinking, what's so important about this? Uh, it's only words, word. Well, I don't think so. If we understand the gravity and how serious, what it carries, the weight that our words will carry, we will want to be careful and we will want to see how we can learn and what we can learn from this entire passage. The first thing that Jesus says is either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Now again, we've been journeying through the book of Matthew and this is not the first time Jesus is using this picture or this imagery. It is a familiar one and it is used to make a very, very strong point. You may want to take down the passage that Jesus used it for the very first time. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Now, I know that some time back since we touched on this, but let me give you the first few words of Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 onwards. Beware of false prophets. Does it sound familiar now? So Jesus used this picture, and he was speaking against false prophets. Now, look at that consistency again. What do prophets do? They declare words. They speak things. They say things. So Jesus says, you be careful. You look out for these guys because you will know a tree by its fruit. And so this time, he is directing this picture at the Pharisees. So if the first time is about false prophets, perhaps this time it is against false teachers. Once again, teaching words, lessons, everything that comes out of the mouth. But it's not just only for the Pharisees. I believe we all can learn something from it. It's a general warning also to everyone. You see, our words reveal a lot more than we think. Because immediately after that, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now you've got to combine these two pictures together. He says first, look at the tree. If you want to know what kind of a tree this is, you have to look for the fruit. You have to taste the fruit. You've got to see that fruit. Is it good fruit? If it's a good fruit, then you can conclude it's a good tree. If it's a bad fruit, then obviously it's a bad tree. And then suddenly he goes now to, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now how do we tie these two pictures together? He says you look at the heart. If you want to know what's the heart, it's just like if you want to know how the tree is, you look for the fruit. And so if you want to know what the heart is all about, you've got to listen to the words. You've got to check out the words. The words that a person would be speaking or declaring, our speech reveals, or can I say betrays, what is within our heart. Who we really are inside, sooner or later, the things that we say, the words that we speak and release, that will reveal the true condition of the heart. And so if you want to know a person better, spend more time with this person. 
Listen to what he is saying, what she is saying. First time, maybe sound very nice. Second time, you know, get, you, once you get to know a person a little bit more, familiarity will start to reveal a few more things, what this person really, really stands for. But by that same token, you can also apply it to yourself. It's easier to listen to someone else. I submit to you, it's much harder to listen to yourself. But if you want to know the condition of your heart, if you want to monitor your own heart, you have to listen to your own words. Jesus made this connection very clear. You have the heart, and out of the heart, the words will come out. And you want to look at what the words are to determine how the heart is. Notice in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, in another teaching, he actually says that, that those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Same teaching again. And these are the things that defile a man. It's not what you put inside, i.e. your food or you know, washing your hands first, but it is what is from the heart that comes out that actually defiles you. And then in verse 19, he says, For out of the heart proceed, what? Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You want to know what the heart is all about? You've got to look at what is coming out from the heart, out of the mouth. And so tonight's teaching is very simple, very straightforward. It's an alignment check item. You must check the alignment. To monitor the heart, check the mouth. One simple phrase for us to remember. To monitor the heart, check the mouth. Because you can't see that real person. Sometimes you even deceive yourself of who you are. But you want to monitor the heart, you check the mouth. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we look at this whole passage we can see that Jesus was using the Pharisees as a case study. So let's learn from them. Negative example. Who are the Pharisees? Many times when we look at these people, immediately we'll say, oh, bad people, negative. Very derogatory remarks will pass about them. Let's understand this group a little bit more. This religious sect only came about after the exile. Is a post-exilic religious sect. And their heart of heart, their intention was to stay true to the law, to promote righteousness and to uphold holiness. Over time, they became experts of the law. They were scholars. They became lawyers as well as teachers. A little bit later, they became influential and also political. And their heart was really to help the people not break the law. And they tried their very best to help you not break this one law. We put in more cautionary laws and cautionary terms, and we fence it. So we put you away, as far away from even coming close to breaking this law. We are helping you. But along the way, they added more laws and they added more prohibitions. Now you may say, oh, that's terrible. That's very bad. But in a sense, they did help the people keep the law. Because when they give rules and regulations, at least the people say, okay, don't do this, do this, you know, I can't do this, I don't. You don't have to think. It makes it much easier with these clear points. But you and I know, because they were only looking at those pointers, they entirely missed the heart of what the law was all about. 
this particular sect was known for their oral tradition. So what is passed down to generations, that would be very important. Now again, take note, huh? oral tradition, words, whatever they say, whatever they are teaching. Over time, these became the default interpretation of the law, which then later became even more important than the law. So can you see how from their good intentions, wanting to help people keep the law, it became more and more and they deviated further and further from the heart of what the matter was all about. And although largely they were portrayed as Jesus' antagonists coming against the Messiah, we need to recognize that not all Pharisees were bad. I mean, we know of at least one called Nicodemus, and he was open. And you can read the scriptures, there were other Pharisees that would have believed in Jesus as the Messiah. Even Jesus said, look, you've got to follow the examples of the Pharisees unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Now, he wasn't being sarcastic. He was saying, look, they kept the law and they did it correctly. You've got to learn how to do this, but you've got to try to exceed that. And you know by ourselves, we can never do that. And so I suggest to you that it is possibly only a very small group of the Pharisees that may have given themselves a very negative label. Now I'm sharing this with you because I don't want you to miss the point. Jesus was not against Pharisees per se. He loved all and he desired all to be saved. We can say an amen to that one. I say that Jesus was not against a Pharisee, but Jesus was against a Pharisaical heart. That means if your heart begins to be like a Pharisee that is negative, uh, that is seeing it wrongly, that's trying to pursue your own gains, then that is what Jesus will be coming against. What is a Pharisaical heart? A Pharisaical heart is one that is an evil heart. It is not pure. It is self-seeking. You're always looking for position, for prestige, and for power. We understand this from Jesus saying of the Pharisees who were like that. They were greedy. You're covetous. That's a pharisaical heart also. You love money. Jesus came against them to say you are lovers of money. These are also hardened hearts. They are prideful hearts. And they were hearts of unbelief. Now if you look at all these descriptors, here's a warning for all of us. Any one of us can fall into this category. Any one of us, okay? And so when we look at the Pharisees, we only look at this group and remember, they're only a case study. We look at them and we say, man, if this thing can happen to them, if Jesus can say these things to them, we can learn from them and let us be careful. Let us be careful. So look at the first thing that Jesus says to them. He calls them this, not a very nice term, you brood of vipers. This is not the first time that the phrase is recorded in the book of Matthew. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, already looked at the Pharisees and said, You brood of vipers, who warned you of the wrath that is to come? Vipers are snakes. And you know that if you associate vipers, snakes, snakes is associated with whom? This is the devil himself. It's diabolical. It's evil. A snake is cunning. A snake is sneaky. And if you look at a snake, a snake's tongue is forked. It's got a double tongue. And I believe... The Lord is using this one example very clearly to say, you be careful, you guys. You say one thing, you mean another thing. You are double talkers. You say one thing, you ask people to do it, but yourself, you will not do it. You act in one way, 
There's a passage later on in Matthew chapter 23 that Jesus looks at them and says, you are hypocrites, right? Outwardly, you look really good. You are all dressed in all this righteous garb and so on, but inwardly, you are like tombs. You have, you have bones that's within you. You're actually dead on the inside. And so this double talking, this cunningness, this sneakiness of the snake, Jesus reveals them once and for all and says, you brood of vipers. You make flowery prayers. You've got a lot of spiritual talk, but you don't mean a single word because you don't live like that. And the next thing he says, he says, look, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Now, if you were good, then the good things will come out. But it's not true because you, how can you being evil speak good things? He asks this very, very open question because he says an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Don't forget, he is referring to what they have just said about him. He is addressing the increasing opposition of these people who are coming against him. And if you look at this word treasure, in the Greek it's quite interesting. It actually is thesauros where we get the English word thesaurus, which means a treasury of words. How consistent is this, right? So if you are a good person, then out of the treasure of your heart, you will have a good treasure, and it will come out, you'll be good. But if you are an evil, wicked person, then you will have a treasury of words that will be evil. And when we talk about treasure, it talks about an overflow, out of an overflow of your heart. This is what's going to happen. A good treasure will bring forth good things, and evil treasure will bring forth evil things. And the word bring forth is from that word which we have studied before, is ekbalo. It's not just to bring forth, it is to throw out. It is to gush out. It is to flow out. Even if you want to keep it in, you can't. Why? Because out of that treasure, it's going to blah, 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 come out. If you have a good heart, out of that, it's going to bubble out. But if you have a bad heart, then guess what? The words that come out, you can't even hope to try to control it. So the Lord makes it so clear. Jesus says, how can you, being evil, speak good things? And sometimes I would pause and I'll read the Scriptures once more. I'll ask, Lord... But can what? A lot of bad people, uh, the tongue and the mouth, very sweet one, you know. Huh? They can say a lot of good things, what? And as I was pondering upon this, they, it's true. They can say good things. They are able to say it, but they don't mean it. You see, that's where the forked tongue is about. That's where the cunningness and the sneakiness is. The evil person or the bad person, his motive, his agenda, he will only say these nice things because he wants to get himself what he wants and where he wants to be. And so the principle stays true. How can you, being evil, speak good things? Because if you say a good thing, you really, really mean it. An evil heart can sound good, but inherently the evil will be revealed. Give it some time, it will be revealed and you will see it. And especially under stress or under pressure. Right, The Pharisees were threatened by Jesus. Their words and their speech began to reveal who they really were inside. Just think about this for a while. Notice how usually people are very nice until you have to work with them. Yeah? 
and I'm not just talking about your workplace, no. Right? Even in the work of the ministry in the church, we encounter challenges like that, yes? And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not calling people evil in that sense, but we're trying to show a principle down here that when the pressure comes, wow, the true colour come out. Out of the treasure, out of the treasure, the overflow is just going to gush out. And then you will see an evil heart will only generally spout negative stuff. But on the contrary, a good heart will find it very hard to say bad things. Very hard. I'm not saying that you're incapable of that. But if the heart is good and has been changed and there's a certain loveliness in that heart or a tenderness in that heart, even if there's a word that is harsh, you know how to hold it back first. But out of the goodness of that heart, you're able to speak it. And even if, even if it should sound harsh from a good heart, for example, uh, discipline. Any parents down here? Yeah? All got good hearts here, right, parents? And when you are disciplined the child, you can say discipline in a certain way or you can discipline in yet another way, right? But if you have a good heart, even if it should sound harsh, discipline, correction, rebuke, it is always done, spoken with love and with grace and always for the good. The letter of James mentions the same principle concerning blessing and cursing. A good heart or a bad heart. A good tree or bad tree. He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So if you see good and bad come out of the same mouth, he's saying, cannot, cannot, something's not right. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Obviously, you know the answer, right? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Cannot. Or a grapevine bear figs? Not possible. A certain tree will bear a certain fruit. Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Same principle. So if you want to know the condition of the heart, if you want to monitor the heart, check the mouth. And we have to learn how to listen to ourselves, the way we talk, the things that come out. It's easy to, to measure someone else against this kind of a principle. But I say, don't just listen to someone. Listen to yourself also. So Jesus goes on. He calls the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, say good things? And then later on, he says, but I say to you, for every idle word, for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. I like this word called idle. In the Greek, it is argon, and it's a composite of two words, ar, letter A, and the word ergon. Ergon means work. So you put them together, it's argon. A is negative. Every time you put an A in front of a word, it's negative. So negative work. So it can mean one of two things. Number one, no work. Idle word means no work. A lot of talk. Nothing to show for it. Neto. No action, talk only. Or it can also mean hypocrisy. What you say, you don't do. You know people like that? A lot of things to say, you know, but when it comes to do, huh, never do. Huh? So that's one possible explanation. Another possible meaning is A, and ergon, opposite, negative work. Work or words that lead to work that works against the purposes of the kingdom. So Jesus is moving and advancing the things of the kingdom. The Pharisees come and say a lot of things to hinder 
the work of the kingdom. And these are idle words. Useless words. Doesn't add to anything. In fact, does the opposite. See, idle words will then reveal an idle heart. A heart that a lot of things to say but nothing else to do. See, words, when we speak it, it expresses a conviction. Where do you get your conviction? It's in your heart. What you believe, what you're convicted about, that's how you will talk. So you can't bluff anyone. When it comes out, you're going to hear it. But you see, works, which will be the actions and the assignments, these also flow out of the convictions. And that's why I always challenge people. You say, oh, pastor, I'm very convicted. I say, okay, if I say conviction, you say action. Okay? Out of conviction, it must lead to action. And so there's no point after a nice sermon, you come and tell the pastor, oh, pastor, convicted. Convicted. Ouch, convicted. Pastor, very happy for that moment. One week later, no action. Conviction, no more already. Two months later, no action. Conviction, run away already. But every service, convicted, pastor. Convicted. Hello. If you are convicted and you say you're convicted, it's got to lead to action. The words will lead to works. If not, those words are idle words. Your heart, which contains your real intents and your thoughts, they are revealed through our words and thereafter the corresponding works or the lack of. And that is how you can understand the next phrase. For by your words, you will be justified. Or by your words, you will be condemned. Because what you say, will you do or not? How do you live? Finally, it is your life that is going to count or not going to count. And so when we look at something like this, we have to ask ourselves, oh really? You mean our works will justify us? Or our works will condemn us? Is that really, really true? How is one justified by words or by works? Paul, the great apostle, do you remember he was an ex-Pharisee? Or can we call him Paul the ex-Pharisee for now? Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, i.e. the works that you do in trying to keep the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the more you do, the more you realize that you just can't do it correctly. There's no way you can keep this law perfectly. You cannot do anything perfectly in the sight of God. And as such, all are already condemned. John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, right? He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You can't justify yourselves. You can do as much as you can, but you cannot be saved. We all need salvation through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul the ex-Pharisee also then says, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we know by trying to keep all the things as perfectly as we can, we will never make it, right? Condemnation is already there upon us. And that's why Jesus' warning to the Pharisees become even more critical. He's really trying to tell these people, you don't keep the law to be saved. I save you so that you can keep the law perfectly. 
you need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And the last thing you want to do is to reject and to also blaspheme against Him. So watch what you're really saying. It's revealing your heart and you are coming really close to the point of no return. Because if you're trying to justify yourself through your words and your works, man, you're already on the wrong side. And even if you try to be as good as you want to be, you still can't make it. You need salvation. And I'm the one who comes to die for you and also to fulfill this law for you. You see, this word is not just for the Pharisees. This is a case study, like I said. Every heart without Jesus is a pharisaical and evil heart in need of salvation. And if you don't believe me, you just listen to the way people talk. Because to monitor the heart, check the mouth. That is why the Lord brings this very, very important teaching. He says, make the tree good. Make the tree good. Because if you make the tree good, then the fruit will be good. Inherently, all our hearts are evil. We are bad trees. And bad trees will always yield bad fruit. The point of the matter is we need to make the tree good so that it will yield good fruit. See, don't go away from this teaching and then try just to say nice things and be polite. If the tree is still bad, give yourself a bit of time, the fruit come out will still be bad. You can be as sweet as you want, take a lot of sugar and eat a lot of cake, you know. And when the thing comes out, it will still be bad. It's not about just trying to be nicer people. We need a complete overhaul from the inside out. And this is the point of what Jesus is really saying. you got to make the tree good. And there's no way you can make the tree good and I can make the tree good. We need to be reborn again with new hearts. And this is where the prophet Ezekiel says that there will come a time where the Messiah will come and God will give those who believe in Him, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove this evil heart from you. This heart of stone out of, out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. A corresponding passage will be in Jeremiah chapter 31 from verses 31 to 34 onwards to say then, I will write my law upon these new hearts. See, you can't work with the old hearts. The old hearts are bad hearts. The old hearts are evil hearts. We need new hearts because only new hearts will produce new fruit and only new hearts will be able to declare good words that will come out of a heart that is led by the Holy Spirit and that will be ready to do the works of the kingdom. But how do we know our hearts? How do we monitor our hearts? If I look around here, I believe all of us are believers in Jesus Christ. So we all have new hearts. Can everyone say amen? That was not convincing at all. We're supposed to have new hearts, amen? amen? Right? And so you know the principle right now. If you want to monitor the condition of this heart, you've got to check the mouth. So we're going to go through an alignment checklist right now and we're going to ask ourselves, what's the evidence of this new heart? I mean, just because you go to church and you say you're baptized, okay, we can proclaim it by faith, but you see, our mouth might still betray us. Do we have new hearts? We say yes. But are we living out of this new heart? Or is it still the old guy talking? How do we check ourselves? To monitor the heart, check the mouth. 
And so let me go through a few points with you. This is not complete, but I think it would set us on the right track. And even then, as we go through this, you'll realize that I think we need the Holy Spirit to work a lot more in many of us, and myself included. Overarching principles for those with new hearts, if you're ready. The first thing is, we should be speaking words of life. We should be speaking words of eternal life. Jesus says that my words are words of life and of the Spirit. The disciples looked at Jesus and said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I would like to check with you and challenge you and ask you, when you speak, do your words carry life? Are there words of faith? Are there words of joy? Are there words of hope that point us towards the life eternal that we have, the abundance of life that we have? Or do we speak with words of fear, with words of hopelessness, with words of death? When you talk to some people and some believers, they are very, very, very negative. In church, they are very positive. But outside of that, are we speaking the kingdom? Are we speaking life? Do we believe we have it? Because if you have a new heart, it should overflow. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Abundance means to overflow. Generally, overarching principles for all believers, if we're talking about fruit, then it has to be the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Let me read the list to you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The question is this. How does your speech and my speech fare in each of these categories? When we speak, is it love? Is that joy? Do we speak peace? Do we bring shalom? Or every time we speak, only we are breaking things up. Is there long-suffering, right? Patience. When you're going through a difficult time, sure, there can be, oh Lord, how long? Huh? But is it one that exudes trust? Is there kindness in our words or is it a critical spirit? Is that goodness that is there? Is that faith? Is it faith-filled? Are we gentle in our words or do we shout at everyone? Is there self-control? How do we fare? Do an alignment check. To monitor the heart, check the mouth. If you're not sure, ask your wife. If you're not sure, ask your husband. Parents, if you're not sure, ask your children. Children, don't need to ask. The parents will tell you one. As believers, we are to be blessing people and honoring others. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all people. Do we lift people up? Or do we put them down, you see? Do we honour them? Do we only honour those that bring us good things or can give us a place or they are nice to us? They can bring us some promotion. Or do we honour everyone and it means everyone? Do we bless? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. So if someone curses you, what must you do? Bless back. I've counseled many people. I've heard a lot of when they're so upset and we say, this is what the scripture says. You can almost feel that this person wants to slap you now. 
And it's hard, right? I mean, we understand, we empathize. It's not easy being cursed at or being betrayed or being put down. How do you bless someone? How do you forgive someone? And yet, a new heart needs to overflow with that. And this is just general, you know. This is must-have one. Basic Kingdom 101. Amen? See, nobody wants to say amen now. (laughs) Then the Scriptures tells us, how do we deal with people who are outside? So let's talk about outside first before we look inside once more. What do we sound like to the world? Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time, which means making use of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt. Flavorful. Huh? Nice, tasty. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. So you've got to ask yourself, how, how do you sound to the rest of this world? And this is not even talking about sharing the gospel yet, huh? Because if you don't behave correctly as a Christian, you have no credibility. When suddenly one day you say, I want to share Jesus with you, you say, I hear you like that one. These are to the people who are outside. How do we sound like to them? And you've got to ask yourself, you see, are we glorifying Jesus? Are we representing the kingdom well? Or are we misrepresenting Him? And then within the body of Christ, how should we be speaking to one another? Ephesians chapter 4 has got a whole list. I'm just pulling out a few things for you to consider. Well, we are told that we must speak the truth in love. So the first thing, let's be real. Let's be honest. We must speak the truth, the real things. Don't lie. Don't bluff. Don't bear false witness against a brother or a sister. If it's true, say it's true. You're not saboing anyone. You have to learn how to say it in love. I think we all, most of the time, know how to speak the truth. It's speaking the truth in love that we struggle with. How do we love this person and then we are able to say it correctly? Give a proper feedback. Give a real feedback. Speaking the truth doesn't mean go and gossip. Don't carry tales. Remember, we learned about blasphemy. Don't slander. Don't sow discord amongst the brethren. God hates someone who sows a discord within the body. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Some people feel that it is okay to curse and to swear and to be obscene and to be vulgar. No, no let no corrupt word. Nothing that's filthy should be coming out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? Now, the word edification means to build up. So when we're speaking to one another, are we tearing one another down? Or are we consciously trying to build each other up? That even when you're giving feedback, and it might be negative that this person needs to know, how do you share it in a way where it brings grace to the hearers? where they realize, man, okay, I, I've messed up in this. How can I learn? Now, whether they want to receive it or not, that's, that's their part. But we have a part to speak well and be edifying and to impart grace. Verse 31 of chapter 4. Let all bitterness, if you just listen, you can actually hear a lot of bitterness coming out of a lot of people. Uh, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Paul is saying, don't do that. 
Honour everyone. It's a place for everyone. We know how to build one another up. We will be able to help one another in this. Let all evil speaking, don't talk evil things, don't talk bad things. All these be put away from you. Let there be no malice. See, so when you're hearing a believer speak in this way, you check the mouth, you monitor the heart. You know this person still needs a lot of work. Verse 32 then says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. As believers, our speech should be peppered with praise and thanksgiving. And please be real, okay? Uh, sometimes it can be very irritating to people. Every time they talk to you, uh, every other sentence is praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You know? I'm not saying everything you punctuate with this, but the way you speak will reveal whether you are thankful. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. We are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things to God. And we are praising the Lord, whether in good times or in not so good times. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. I know it's not quite as easy, and that's why the heart needs to be trained and the mouth needs to be aligned with what the heart is all about. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So think a little bit, are you thankful? Are you always praising Him? And don't talk super spiritual, it's got to be real. Now what's the opposite of this? Don't murmur and don't complain. Say amen. You just murmured. Don't murmur and don't complain. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And it says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, paraphrase this. Simple. The whole world is complaining and disputing and fighting and murmuring. Guys, you shouldn't be doing it. Don't join them. That's the wrong song. But it's so easy, isn't it? Yeah, just look at Facebook. Look at the problems now that we are complaining and griping against our government. We should be honouring our leaders. They're not perfect. They're doing the best they can. Even if you disagree on certain things, do you need to be complaining to that extent? You have a voice. Share it correctly with grace, yeah? Learn from some of our church leaders who have actually written in well and to make a point heard. So do all things without complaining and disputing, okay? Don't complain, don't murmur. Don't complain against your church leaders. You should be praying for your leaders. Huh? You should be praying for all these in authority. And that's why I have one section here on leaders. If you are a leader, and I'm talking about all types of leaders, okay? Don't just think pastors only. At every level, even as parents, we are leaders. If you are spiritually leading someone, let me read this to you quickly. From 2 Timothy, because Paul was telling Timothy as a young leader, he says, don't get caught in unprofitable talk, idle talk. You know, sometimes you get embroiled in this kind of chit-chats. No use one. Shun profane and idle babblings. It's a waste of time. There's a lot of work to be done. 
You know, stop complaining, stop griping, you know, stop, stop gossiping about one another. If we're coming together, talk kingdom things. Share real things. Don't get caught in all these. Avoid foolish, ignorant disputes that generate strife. If someone is trying to promote strife, you should be one as a, as a leader to stop it. You should be the one to be bringing reconciliation and restoration. Your speech is important. There may be people who will come against you who will disagree with you. Paul says, don't be quarrelsome. Don't quarrel. Don't go and fight. Your speech is important. Be gentle. Be patient. Fruit of the Holy Spirit once more. Be humble when you're handling all these oppositions. Don't fight with them. It's a waste of time. Maybe they want to pick a fight. And the reason they want to pick a fight is because they don't want to listen in the first place. Don't waste your time. Move on. Preach the word instead. It's the word again. Yeah? You're going to speak, so preach it. But if you're going to preach, then learn how to convince, learn how to rebuke, and learn how to exhort. See, if a leader needs to rebuke, do it correctly. Do it with the right spirit. Sit this person down. Have time and rebuke. Brother, I love you. Sister, I don't think this is going correctly. Be a good example. Don't be a hypocrite. James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. And after this comes the entire section on how crazy the tongue is, that we cannot control this tongue. And it starts with verse 1. Don't become a teacher. Why? It's very easy to teach. It's very easy to talk. It's very easy to tell someone something. But it is not as easy to live out what you say. This is one verse I hold very carefully. And I want you to be praying for me always because I am a teacher. And it's my greatest concern. What's my concern? That I am found guilty of urging others to be awakened, aligned, and assigned only to discover that I myself am totally deceived and deluded, asleep, misaligned, and totally missing my assignment. God forbid. And this does not mean everybody don't want to teach, huh? This is not the point, right? What James is saying is, if you have that assignment, whatever level, do it well. You can't do this by your own strength because your words will reveal what is really inside. Short list, not complete. Please go back and study some more. But good start, right? And even as I go through all these little points, my first cry from my own heart is, how to talk and live like this? I want to say I struggle with this over and over again. And James actually says this in James chapter 3, verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Huh? Why does he write something like that? If I have a new heart and then the tongue cannot be tamed, then how does the heart and the tongue or the mouth align? And here comes the greatest truth and the best news. With men, it is impossible. No man can tame the tongue, but nothing is impossible for God. And that's why if you've got a new heart from the Holy Spirit, you've got to then submit your mouth and your tongue also to the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can make the tree good and only the Holy Spirit can control your tongue so that it overflows and it speaks the words of the Holy Spirit. This is the only promise we have, my dear friends. Because I can tell you, you can go back and you can try to be nice, you can try to be polite, you can try to be sweet, it will not last. Anyone tried that? It's got to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's always been the Holy Spirit. 
And that's why Jesus had such a strong word for the Pharisees. You want to disturb me? I can still forgive you. You want to call me names? I can still forgive you. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You are done. There's a point of no return. Getting saved is one thing, but then to live as ones who are saved. We have good hearts now. We have new hearts now. Will our mouths align with the hearts that we have been given? And so I ask you one question again, as I asked in the beginning. So how is your heart? How is your heart? Homework for us, alignment check. To monitor the heart, check the mouth. And this is the one time I will tell you to listen to your heart. But when I say listen to your heart, you understand what I mean by now. It means to listen to your words. If you want to know what the heart is all about, then you should be listening to your own words. Our hearts are desperately deceptive, but our words, if you are careful and sensitive enough, will give you the right indicators and signs of where our hearts really are. God forbid that we only have idle words that amount to nothing or work against the things of the kingdom. And so alignment check to monitor the heart, check the mouth. May we have kingdom hearts that will speak kingdom words that would reveal itself in kingdom work. And so now I want you to respond. As I pray for you, I pray for myself also. And we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, we just give you praise. We give you thanks, Lord, for the work that you have done in each of us through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's the biggest point, Lord, this evening for us. Even as we go through the little checklist, we know we fail in so many areas. Some of us are a little bit further up front, some a little bit back, but Lord, we know we still need you. How many times we have tripped and stumbled over our words. How many times we speak thinking we are so good, but really within our hearts, we still need you to help us. And Lord, I pray if we have a pharisaical heart, Lord, we repent. We turn to you, Lord, and we ask you to save us all over again. And Lord, if we are still struggling with our words and our works that should come out of those words, we ask, Holy Spirit, will you help us? Will you enable us? It's not about us trying to be nice and trying to say the good things. It's about us really truly being changed by you so that we can be a blessing to the people around us. And so as we close this time, Lord, we thank you, we bless you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.